nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scoured the globe with top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome back to the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, Master Trainer and Weight Management Expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today I have a blockbuster episode for you. I'm going to talk with Spencer Feldman, who is the founder of Remilink. And in this episode, we're going to talk about like a deep dive into the microbiome. You've heard my shows and I've had many health experts on this show. We've talked about the microbiome, right? But nothing like what we're going to discuss today. In fact, you know what? Take out your notepad because you're going to want to learn from this guy. This is going to be fantastic. And of course, I'm going to have a hack for you at the end of the episode, right? We're going to talk about how to recognize a sick microbiome, and then on top of that, how to recover it. And with that being said, let's welcome Spencer Feldman to the show. Hey, Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Zico. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. This is going to be one of many interviews that we're going to have, and I'm ready to get this started. So tell my audience about yourself. Well, you know, like a lot of people in the alternative health field, Zico, I was a sick kid. Um, I wanted to become a doctor, but uh, a bad vaccine reaction made my hands shake so bad. I knew I was never going to be a surgeon. So I, you know, kind of a little heartbroken by that, but I still love the idea of helping people. And I found I was really good at seeing patterns and figuring out what was going on with people that were sick that no one could figure out. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. I've been making products that are designed to kind of help the people who are, have fallen in the cracks, you know, maybe they're sick or maybe they're just not optimal. And the doctor says, well, we don't know what's going on. And, you know, here's a drug for you. And they're like, well, you know, but why aren't I well? So I'm trying to fill that gap to get people to get from okay health or bad health and really get them, you know, optimally healthy so they can do whatever it is that they want and not have to think twice about their body, not being able to deliver. You know, most of us are in bad health. We don't even know what optimal even feels like, right? Mm. So the fact that you specialize in helping us to move from bad health, some of us are in good health, but we move towards being optimal. That's fantastic. Because I always say in this country, in the, out of the US, of course, we don't have health care. We have sick care, right? So we don't teach people how to move towards optimal health. So thank you for being here. And let, with that being said, what personal experiences have you noticed? So, Zico, I was in pretty good health when I started this, so nothing really profound, but definitely some things that, uh, that I want to share with you. Okay, so one thing that happened was my vision improved, right? I'm at my computer, and suddenly my reading glasses are too strong. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Okay, well, the eyes have very, very... They, the eye muscles aren't like thigh muscles with great big femoral arteries. They have tiny blood vessels and with age, they get compromised. Uh, so my microcirculation improved. 
The next thing that happened is I noticed I had balance for the first time in my life. I was a mid forceps delayed delivery, which meant they went in because I was coming in backwards, grabbed my head with forceps, yanked me around, pulled my out, pulled me out and crushed my head. I've never had good balance. I could never dance. Right. And all of a sudden I've got balance. And now for the first time in my life at 53, I can dance, which is so much fun. I love it. I've got years of dancing to make up for. So what it means that for me to get balance at age 53 means my brain was able to heal and repair and rewire itself 53 years after the injury, which is amazing. Um, speaking about the brain, I play chess online and you know you get a rating when you play against thousands of people. And I'm watching that I'm getting smarter. My rating is going up. Here's another one. So I have a gym in my house where I work out and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing the weights and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, who took, who took the plates off my, my rack? Why is it so light? It wasn't. I got significantly stronger and had significantly more endurance. I mean, double digit changes in, a, in not that much time. I don't know exactly how it did it, but somehow it was giving my muscles and my, my cardiovascular signal system messages to upregulate because I became a lot stronger very fast. And I'm not the kind of guy that puts on muscle easily, or I wasn't until now, right? Um, another thing that happened is my skin gets was got stronger. Uh, so I basically, I live off grid, so I've got like a farm-like life. And I've been noticing over the last 10 years, my skin would rip more easily. You know, I'd grab a piece of something sharp, wood, you know, a chain, chain um, you know, barbed wire fence or something, and I'd rip my skin. And I think, gosh, um, why did that happen? That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. So anyway, the other day um, I'm barefoot and I'm walking um, through the barn door and my barn door catches my foot on the top of my foot and my Achilles and it gets ripped. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope I don't need stitches. I get back inside and I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, all right, I'm going to wipe up the blood and, you know, maybe I can crazy glue clothes or something. But I want to go to the hospital and maybe I'll staple it shut. And I look, Zico, I'm not bleeding. There are two red marks. And two months earlier, that injury would have shredded my skin, right? So I'm, I'm thinking about all these things, the strength, the intelligence, the eyesight, the balance, and then I, the skin strength. And then I realized what they all have in common. Zico, I'm getting younger. These are all things that get worse with age. Classically, older people have weaker skin, weaker eyesight, less endurance, less strength. Their mind isn't as fast. Their balance goes. All of those are classic signs of aging. And I reversed them to a degree. So now the question is, how far back can I go? Love it. Love it. Love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's talk about the microbiome. What yeah, is know, it? You know, thanks for, for, for having me talk about the microbiome. Because in 20 years, um, this has been the single most powerful upgrade to the human body I've ever found. And I, I really feel driven to share it with people. And I'll tell you some of my personal experiences and what's happened for me, which are kind of amazing. So uh, the microbiome is a, a mix of bacteria, virus, yeast, um, bacteriophages. Just it's some bacteria living in your gut. And it's more than just kind of digesting your food, which a lot of people think is what it does. It's responsible for proper brain development, immune function, neurotransmitter levels, hormone levels, body fat, blood sugar, and insulin sensitivity. Uh, growing muscle, energy production, sleep cycles, epigenetics. It's got its hands into every part of the human body and it is regulating the whole thing. It's, you know, don't think of the brain as regulating the body. The brain is really more 
you know, the monitoring and regulating and organizing, you know, nerve transfer and information and sensory data and, 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 other, and other things. But the day-to-day, moment-by-moment running of the body is really the microbiome. So in other words, if you want awesome health, you have to have an awesome microbiome. And it's really easy to lose it and really easy to get it back. But you have to know exactly how to do it. Wow. Now, with that being said, let's talk about inception, right? Because we hear about the microbiome all the time, but where does it really come from? How can we get this, even let's say from our parents? Okay. So, I mean, we could go back, you know, uh, humans in their current form are roughly 780,000 years old. And we have been eating, you know, primitive diet was tubers and insects and seafood and wild game and seaweed and honey and nuts. And all these, you know, all these things contain these specific sugars called oligosaccharides. Okay. So you have to understand that word. If you're going to understand the microbiome, oligosaccharides, and I'll explain it. There's three classes of sugars. There's a simple sugars like fruit and honey, easy to digest. They're really small. There's the big old sugars like starches and carbohydrates. We can digest those too. But these sugars in the middle, the middle-sized sugars, these oligosaccharides, we don't digest them and they get in the gut. Well, bacteria got in our gut too. And they are eating those oligosaccharides we can't eat. And over time, you know, they, they evolved to be symbiotic with us because the longer we would stay alive, the longer they had a gut full of oligosaccharides that's warm and wet and not a lot of oxygen, and they are happy. So for all this time, they be, they've been evolving symbiotically with us. And so the first trick they learned was how to suppress, suppress any bad bacteria you might eat. You know, you eat a, a leftover that's got something funky growing on it, or, you know, maybe Maybe the cook didn't wash their hands and they were sick. You know, your microbiome, no big deal. That can knock out the bacteria. But it didn't stop there. The microbiome learned to make us stronger, smarter, fight infections better, heal faster, age slower. In other words, the microbiome was and still is today the most powerful human upgrade we could possibly imagine and will ever have. Wow, fantastic. So then for for us coming into this wonderful earth itself, right? Hmm. How is, is there any genetic connection that might be passed down from our parents? It's not so much the genetics because our genes are there is a thousand times more genetics in our microbiome than us. So genetics, if we're talking genetics, we're really almost talking more the microbiome. What happens is our mothers have it, and when they're pregnant, there's a bloom of progesterone that makes the blue, makes the bifidobacteria increase in her gut. So it, it is more like a baby's gut bacteria. And then she passes it on to the baby. Now, if it's a mid forceps or cesarean or sunny side up or premature birth, the baby doesn't get that. And, you know, cesareans are one third in the U.S. and 80 percent in Greece and in Vietnam and Brazil. So, you know, right off the bat, a lot of people aren't getting the microbiome from the mother. Uh, the next thing that has to happen optimally is the mother breastfeeds. And there's 200 different oligosaccharides uh, in breast milk. There's more oligosaccharides in breast milk than there is protein. So that tells you that as far as the, you know, the body is concerned, the mother's body thinks that the baby's microbiome is more important than giving it protein because there's more oligosaccharides than protein in breast milk. So the, the lesson here is the, um, you know, Nature is telling us that the microbiome needs both a lot of oligosaccharides 
and a large variety of them. And so, you know, we could get into, you know, the 600 different types of probiotics that find their way from the mother's gut to the breast from the lymphatics so that the mother is actually giving cultured breast milk to the babies. It's a fantastic thing. But the bottom line is what we're, what we're meant to do is have a normal birth and get breastfed. And if we do, then by about two and a half years of age, the gut finally matures from lactobacillus and bifidus, which are bacteria mostly found on the skin and that we get from uh, the, the birth canal. And they become firmicutes and bacteroides. And your audience is probably aware that there's a whole thing about that ratio in terms of obesity and, and um, blood sugar levels. So the key point is, you know, a lot of us didn't have perfect births, but that's the way we're supposed to get it. Now, there are four initiations, you might say, that, have, that the microbiome gives us. One before we're born and three after. And I'd like to go over those because I think a lot of people don't still, you know, may not understand just the depth of importance that this organ really plays in our lives. The first happens when we're inside the womb and metabolites produced by the mother's microbiome pass through the placenta and guide the developing brain fetal architecture, sorry, guide the developing fetal brain architecture through neuroproliferation. So that's how profound our relationship with the microbiome is. It's actually guiding what will be your personality and your mental ability before you're born. The, uh, the second initiation is when the IgA and colostrum teaches the baby's immune system that the microbiome is part of itself. Don't fight the microbiome. It's an organ like your liver or your heart, okay? And you have to have breast milk and colostrum to get that, okay? The third initiation is the goes back to the brain. The brain continues to develop because it's not fully myelinated when we're born. So now it's gonna continue developing um, the prefrontal cortex, uh, which is responsible for co complex cognitive behavior, personality, decision-making, social behavior, and the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. And then here's the fourth initiation. It's help in this, and it, it first said, this is self, don't fight this. Now it's telling you what other is. It's gonna tell you, tell the immune system what to fight because 75% of your immune system is in the gut associated lymphatic tissue. So here's the key point for this. People with autoimmune issues, they don't know what self is and they attack themselves. And people with weak immune systems don't know what other is and they don't attack infections. You need a healthy microbiome to know the difference between self and other. And parasites are a perfect example. Parasites have thousands of genes to change their outer coating. As soon as you think you get the upper hand with a parasite, it makes a tiny shift and now your immune system can't see it again and it's hiding and it's cloaked. So, and sometimes parasites will express proteins or lipopolysaccharides that look almost exactly like human tissue. And if the immune system overshoots the mark and attacks too much, it attacks itself. And if it doesn't do enough, the parasite hides and causes all sorts of havoc. So you really want a, a super fine-tuned immune system. And to get that, to go after these parasites, and to get that, it's the microbiome. And just one other point, cancer behaves just like a parasite. It does the same tricks, right? It does that same changing of its coating so you can't see that it's not you. And even harder because it came from your own tissue. So you really want to have this super fine-tuned immune system and only the microbiome can do that for you. You know, paras the human mammalian immune system has been around for 200 million years. Parasites have been around for 500 million years and they've got a lot of tricks up their sleeve. But bacteria have been around for 3.5 billion years. And Zico, there's nothing they haven't seen. They know every trick in the book. 
there's no parasite that hides from, from the microbiome. You know, um, Lyme disease, uh, toxoplasmosis gondii, all of these different infections can be unmasked by a good microbiome. And then the immune system's like, oh, let me hit it. So that is sort of like the initial, the initial things, you know, right before, right before we're born in the first few years, all those things have to happen. And if they don't happen, then we're going to have to recover them when we're older. And that's what we're going to get into towards the end, because I wanted to ask that it was uh, how do we recover them? So we're going to talk about that throughout the end. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, let's say, hypothetically, you went through all four phases, right? Imagine, mm-hmm. Imagining a perfect world, right? But mm-hmm. then we were human beings and we decided to do whatever we want with our lives. So how do we, how we do, we tend to really screw it up, screw up our microbiome essentially. That's a fantastic question, Zico. So there's three dangers our microbiome faces. The first of course is poor diet because we never feed them the oligosaccharides they need because to do that, we'd be eating tubers and insects and, and mushrooms and seaweed all day long, like a primitive human, right? So number one, we starve them. Okay. And that's easy to fix. Just, I'll show you how to take more uh, oligosaccharides in your diet. The second is things we're taking we shouldn't take, right? That's toxins like glyphosates, artificial sugars, which they, you know the microbiome eats thinking it's food, emulsifiers, statins, anti-inflammatory drugs, oral birth control hormones, SSRIs. Chronic exposure to these things cause significant damage to the microbiome. I call them microbiome mass casualty events. You can recover, but you're going to need some help. Then you got things like antibiotics and severe intestinal infections. So like a salmonella infection can kill 15% of the microbiome species, but even, but that's not the end of the world because your appendix is a backup copy of your microbiome and it'll recede you. But if you take something like Cipro, it can wipe out 50% of your bacteria and it'll knock out the bacteria in in your, in your appendix, which is your backup copy. So think about it. Antibiotics can cause three times more damage to the microbiome than a deadly intestinal infection and be very difficult to recover from. Long-term or broad-spectrum antibiotic use should be considered like a microbiome extinction-level event. And it gets worse with each generation because each generation, that mother doesn't have it to pass it on, and then the next generation has even less. So as important as it is for your listeners to recover their microbiome to the best they can, Keep in mind, it's even more important for the species that the women of the species recover their microbiome so they can not only pass it on to their children and develop their children's brain properly in the womb, but pass it on to future generations. This is a, this is a species level event that we're seeing take place here that we need to work with. So a light bulb just went off because just about everything that you're talking about here is, uh, is commonplace in society, right? Especially when we're talking about broad spectrum antibiotics, like we take it like nothing, right? So this is just things that we commonly do, not thinking about the damages we cause in our gut. And I always use the analogy of taking um, broad spectrum antibiotics is like dropping a bomb on your gut and just destroying everything essentially, right? And if you do, it's a lot more work to build back up, <laughs> right? Versus, you know, so we got to really think about that. So I'm glad that you're really putting that into perspective. And with that being said, with all knowledge that you have, how do we recognize a sick microbiome? Great question. You know, we are now three generations into the experiment of antibiotics and uh, artificial foods and things and and pesticides. So, you know, we're at a tipping point where people have lost so many key species that we're starting to see chronic disease hit numbers we haven't seen in previous generations. So a great question. How do you know if you've got a bad microbiome? Because a lot of times 
you know, you would not think that the, the symptoms that you're experiencing have anything to do with your gut. And that's very common. Um, so the first four, there's four questions you can ask yourself that are pretty easy to figure out if you don't want to spend $500 on a, on a stool test. The first is, does your stool smell bad? A healthy microbiome creates stool with almost no smell. The second is, do you soil yourself? Meaning, do you need a lot of toilet paper? A healthy microbiome means you wipe yourself once and there's nothing there, right? Um, transit time. How long does it take before the food you eat ends up in the toilet? Now, you might say, well, I go to the bathroom every day. I'm not constipated. Yeah, but take a look below your belly button. You see that little pooch? Yeah, that's two, three, four days worth of backed up food. So you can go to the bathroom every day, but it's something you ate last week and you've got that back load. And that's a low, slow transit time. So what you do is you go get some organic powdered blueberry extract and take two tablespoons you know, in a, in a glass of water and drink it down and look and see how many hours it takes to get for your stool to show turn, turn blue. It should take no more than 18, okay? But you're gonna see 20, 48, you're gonna see two, three, four days commonly. And I'll talk to you about how to speed that up. Um, and then the last thing is to go get some pH paper but you want the stuff that goes just from six to eight because the stuff that goes from four to 10, it's such a broad range, you're not gonna get the fine tuning. So you get the six to eight pH paper. And unless you've got pebble poop, there's gonna be a little bit of moisture on your stool. You touch it to it, you're gonna get a pH reading. You want it to be 6.6 on the money. Now, just because you have a pH of 6.6 does not mean you've got a perfect gut. Other things can be going on, but I tell you, if it's above 7.0 or below 6.2, there's issues right? Then not, now there's problems. You know, this, this is going to be a kind of a disgusting conversation because uh, I wanted to really talk about poop for a second. I was, uh, I was dating someone and I mentioned to her that my poop doesn't stink. And she, she, uh, she thought I was joking. She's like, no, what do you mean your poop? I was like, I, I, I just, I would say my poop smells like roses, but that's not really the case. <laughs> but I would say to her that my poop doesn't stink. And I, and I've always attributed that to the health of my gut. Um, the second point that you mentioned, though, about um, using the bathroom, you're correct. I generally use the bathroom three times a day. That's easy for me. No issues. And my timing is really consistent. Usually morning, sometime middle of the day before I go to bed consistently. Number two, of course, right? Defecate. So I usually do that. So um, I think those are talking about stool is a very important is very important to understand where we are talking about our microbiome and recognizing a sick microbiome. And you're not the first health expert I brought on the show that have discussed that. So if anyone that's listening, if you think or you just want to really be more interested in recognizing a sick microbiome, go back and listen to that section that uh, Spencer just greatly eloquated. That was that was fantastic. Now, here comes the next question then. Right. How do we recover it? Okay, let's talk about that. But I just want to give one last thing that I, um, that I think we have the time for. There are a few class. There are a few things that can can let you can make you think microbiome. Obviously, anything gut oriented, right? But if you've got fatigue, that's a, that's probably the microbiome. If you've got any kind of um, mental or emotional kind of moodiness, or your mind is just not working the way you want, and got brain fog that's microbiome, anything that doesn't regulate properly, right? Like weird things, you sweat too much, you don't sweat enough. Anything that's like out of, out of center, if you're not in homeostasis, that's probably the microbiome, right? Okay, so what do we do to fix it? Um, so you might think probiotics, but the kind of probiotics that are available, you know, the lactobacillus and, and the bifidus 
these are meant for babies, right? That only represents 0.01%, one ten thousandth of what's in the normal human gut. So uh, the, the issue is the kind of bacteria that we need in our gut is very difficult to grow in a lab. So we can get probiotics and, uh, and we could talk one day about what they're good for and when to use them. But what we really need is the, pro the bacteria that's already there. So there are, um, there are a couple, you know, there's three reservoirs, right? You've got your, the, the bacteria that's dormant. You've been feeding it just barely enough oligosaccharides to keep it alive. It's mostly sleeping. You feed it oligosaccharides, it wakes up and, <clears throat> and populates because bacteria doubles every 20 minutes. That means you go from one to 34 billion in 12 hours, right? So one is you just feed it, it'll repopulate. Number two, like I said, if, as long as you haven't taken some really killer antibiotics, it's back, your backup copies in your, in your appendix waiting for you to feed it. And number three, every person you meet on the street and shake hands with, every air, every, wherever you walk and you breathe, microbiome is everywhere. It's airborne, it's on every surface. So, uh, you know, um, for most people, they can recover it if they just feed it, right? Okay, so let's talk about um, how to recover this thing. Um, there's a couple of secrets to it, right? So the first secret is the oligosaccharides. Um, can you get them with diet? Well, kind of, but if you want to recreate a primitive diet, like I said, you're eating insects and tubers and you really need a really amazing immune a digestive system to break, to get to the oligosaccharides. So probably not. You can add things like Jerusalem artichoke and chicory and, you know, crickets if you want to the menu. I think the easiest thing is just to, to take a supplement. Um, I got one right here that I made. It's uh, eight oligosaccharides, but I'll tell you what's in it in case you want to make it yourself, right? Galacto-oligosaccharides you find in tubers, xylo-oligosaccharides, pectin-oligosaccharides, and fructo-oligosaccharides you find in fruits and vegetables. Connective tissue-oligosaccharides you find in wild game, not so much uh, factory meat. Chitin-oligosaccharides that you would find in insects and mushrooms. Fucoidin-oligosaccharides you find in seaweed, and isomalto-oligosaccharides you find in honey and miso and kimchi. And, you know, it's like we've got 200 times more concentrated G galacto-oligosaccharides than you find in beans and 300 times more concentrated fructo-oligosaccharides in Brussels sprouts. So, you know, you can do it yourself or you can, or you can buy oligosaccharides. Um, and, you know, what you're looking for is as wide a range of oligosaccharides as possible. And I'll explain why. You, want, you don't want it to get just one or two different types of oligosaccharides. You want as many as you can get. Um, First, oligosaccharides act as decoy molecules that prevent the bad bacteria and fungi from attack, attaching to your gut wall. So the more you have, the more different things you can act as decoy molecules. Second, different bacteria require different oligosaccharides. You want the, most, uh, the largest variety of genetic diversity you can get in your microbiome to do the most things for you so you can have the biggest microbiome upgrade. That means you have to get as many as possible. And third, these are not interchangeable. And I'll give you an example. I had a client who we gave this to, and two years with her chronic fatigue disappeared in three days. And we tried everything for this client. And then I ran out of one of the oligosaccharides. And within uh, uh, three days, she was back to being almost comatose. And then I gave it back to her. We got it back in stock again. Two hours later, she was back up. Three days later, she was back where she started. So it was that one oligosaccharide that she needed. And you never know which one someone's going to need. So the takeaways are, if you have the right materials, that is the oligosaccharides, you can recover in days what it takes years to lose. And their oligosaccharides are not interchangeable. You can't just say, well, I'm taking this one and don't take that one because, you know, you, you need to get all of them. 
Yes. So I've had I've had uh, guests on the show that have talked about uh, the diversity of our micro of our gut environment, right? Or microbiome. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what you're talking about here is having a diverse gut. Now, essentially, how do you get there by feeding it, but feeding it with in in a in a diverse manner, right? Exactly. That's why um, experts I've had on the show have talked about we need to have at least twenty five to thirty different plant foods in our diet um, on a weekly basis to help to create diversity. However, with you being an expert in the field and have formulated and have the formulas that you have and the products that you have, you put together what our body actually needs without having to go out there to the store and start to find, try to find specific type of foods, foods and vegetables to necessarily feed our microbiome, right? So I love the fact that you give it on both sides. You tell us, hey, there are things you can do, foods you can eat, you can eat, but I also have put it together for you as well. And it seems like you have something to add, Spencer. Yeah, you know, you you can definitely get a good microbiome just by eating um, beans and jicama and fruits and on uh, some other tricks I'll tell you. Um, but I wasn't looking for a good microbiome. When I realized what it was doing, I wanted to have the best human microbiome humanly possible. So I wanted to get even the rare and exotic oligosaccharides. I wanted every single one I, you know, I want the one from the baobab tree in Africa. I want the one in the seaweed of the coast of Japan. I want the one that's coming out of the, you know, everywhere, you know, the mushrooms that are growing in the forest of Germany. I want all of them. So here comes the second secret. It's fiber, right? We've been around as humans for about 200,000 years, 190,000 as hunter-gatherers, 10,000 as farmers, and the last 100 years as modern man. Hunter-gatherers ate 100 grams of fiber per day, 150. Early farmers ate 35, modern man eats about 15. 15 is not enough. So I'm aiming at 35 because to get to 100 grams, man, you're eating all day long. And I don't want to do that. So, um, and if you consider that for every 10 grams of fiber you eat, you decrease all causes of mortality by 10%. If you go from 15 to 35 grams of fiber, that's a 20% decrease in all forms of mortality across the board, which is pretty good. Now, if you make beans a staple of your diet, you can get to 35 grams of fiber pretty easy. Without beans, it's really not going to happen. A cup of beans is 17 grams of fiber. A cup of vegetables is like three. So it's, it's, it's much higher in fiber for you. Um, if you have some trouble with beans, try a zuki. Try soaking them for a day and rinsing them. Um, you know, I wouldn't eat fiber from additional fiber because insoluble fiber can irritate a damaged gut. Insoluble fiber makes methane gas, which creates flatulence, which aside from being embarrassing socially, is a paralytic agent that slows down transit time of the gut. So my suggestion is to stick with, stick with beans and slow cooking, slow cook them. There is a special kind of fiber called mucilage. It's, like a, it's a gelatinous substance that does help heal the gut. Um, if you want to do that, I'm going to suggest you do animal sourced, like the bone broths and gelatins, because they don't cause as much gas or fermentation as the plant-based ones, which takes us to our third secret. We mentioned transit time, right? Mm-hmm. So we want four out, one to four hours in the stomach, depending if it's fruit or meat, six hours in the small intestine, 10 hours in large intestine and then out it goes. And if your transit time is less than 16 hours, then you're not giving your body enough time to absorb the nutrients. But if it's longer, now we're starting to go into, de- into toxicity and issues like that. So how do we speed it up? And you know, if you study the Hadza of Tanzania, which are the hunter-gatherers we have the most access to, they eat 100 grams of fiber a day, but they also exercise vigorously 135 minutes a day. That comes to, and here's the magic number, 1.35 minutes of vigorous exercise for every gram of fiber you eat. So if you eat a standard American diet of 15 grams of fiber, which I hope you don't do, 
That's 20 minute vigorous hike or a 30 minute walk once a day. If you're gonna aim for 35 grams of fiber like the, our, the last 10,000 years of our ancestors, that's about an hour day walk. And that, so the, the takeaway is you can't think of fiber without also thinking of exercise. The two are, mutual, are, are connected in terms of transit time. Um, there's some other more technical ways to do it, but uh, also staying calm, right? Rest and relax. Parasympathetic speeds your transit time. Sympathetic fight or flight slows it down. So, you know, relax yourself. Um, don't eat more than you can digest, right? And here's a, a really important one. It's really important that only fiber and oligosaccharide get into your large intestine. Let me say it again, because it's so important. Only fiber and oligosaccharide should ever enter your large intestine. Okay, now when we eat beyond our capacity to digest or absorb, the excess carbohydrates and proteins and fats will get into the large intestine, right? So that could be someone just picking out at a, you know, eating a whole bunch of, 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 of sweets at a birthday party or way too much meat at the barbecue and they can't digest that much and, it, and undigested parts get to the large intestine. I'm not saying don't have fun, Go, and I'll tell you how to deal with that. But I'm saying by and large, you know, eat portions you can handle because when protein and fat gets into the large intestine, it creates, it, it stimulates a growth of a putrefying phenotype of clostridia bacteria, which is the same bacteria that digests protein and fat in corpses. And you know, corpses, if you've ever been around a dead body, if you've ever been to an autopsy, the corpses have a, a very unique and horrific smell. And it's from these bacteria putrefying them. Carbohydrates, the undigested carbohydrates that get into large intestine, ferment and create gas, alcohol, formaldehydes, and feed candida. So the key is balance, right? You want to eat enough so you're nourishing yourself, but not so much you're spilling over undigested stuff into the large intestine and growing the bacteria that putrefy a corpse. Because, you know, when someone has bad smells, when you smell bad breath or body odors on somebody, these are corpse digesting proteins that you're smelling. Um, Okay, which leads us to another secret. I told you I'd tell you how to how you can pig out and still be all right. So don't do it on a regular basis. But if you if you do have weak digestion or you really just want to eat a whole bunch of one kind of thing, take some digestive enzymes with that meal so that you digest it and it all gets absorbed. Right? It'll still be a little taxing, but hey, you know what? We should be healthy enough to have some fun and break some rules. I'm going to tell you how to break the rules in a way that causes the least amount of trouble for your body. Uh also. One question right. here, Spencer. Do you do you provide uh, digestive en enzymes as well? I, I don't because you know there's lots of places that make those. Um, if you can get pancreatin uh, for the pancreas, uh, or if you're a vegetarian, uh, you can get plant-based enzymes. And you know, basically, you should be taking them with every meal. And even if you have a good digestion, you know, you've only got so much pancreatic enzymes your pancreas is ever going to make in its lifetime. Why run it out early? You know, just start taking them now. Just make it part of your diet. Ah, perfect. Okay, go ahead. That's one to clarify now, that part. Also, you got to make sure your bite is good. If you have a bad bite, you're not chewing properly. That's going to make it harder to digest. You want to make sure your bile is flowing. Uh, we have a product called Glitamins. Uh, you need some support to move the bile if you think there's some stuff going on the gallbladder. Um, all right. So if you have gas, that's carbohydrates um, spilling over into large intestine and making methane from excess hydrogen. And if you have, if there's body odors, then um, that is uh, putrefying bacteria. And if you happen to have gas that doesn't smell good, that means that there's both carbohydrates and proteins being fermented and putrefying in the gut. So 
you know, again, a, a human body should not smell bad. Now, let me give you one more secret to this. And it's called retrograde starches and beta-glucans. If you take um, grains and you cook them and you put them in the fridge, the starch turns into something called a retrograde or resistant starch. It becomes a crystalline form, which makes it a much um, slower burn. So if you have issues with insulin and can't handle high, uh, you know, um, high glycemic index foods, put them in a fridge for four hours, it'll be better. But it also creates what's called a kind of probiotic. I don't put it in the product because you, know, you can make it yourself cheaply. So go get some organic oats, cook them up, stick them in the fridge for four hours. That's gonna be a very special kind of prebiotic for your gut. And it's also gonna contain another prebiotic called beta-glucan. And you get that uh, just by eating, uh, by doing oats. Perfect. And you know what? I love the fact that you also talk about the, pre the preparation of these foods as well. My, uh, my carnivore and keto friends are gonna come uh, crucify me after, after this episode, but I'm right there with you. Uh, I am a highly, I'm a meat eater um, uh, mostly. But and I'm more paleo than I would say carnivore or uh, or keto, even though I do cycle ketosis, because I do also believe that we need to have a diverse gut environment. And by eating meat mostly or being in ketosis all the time, that's almost impossible. So I, I, I love your approach and the way you're doing it and you're teaching people, hey, again, you can prepare your food a certain way and you can get what you need. However, I have the formula for you. Well, go ahead and add what you were going to. Well, you know, let's talk about the paleo and carnivore diet. Right. So um, if, if we're doing keto, we're going to be eating a lot of oils, which is not something that primitive humans had access to. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you got the when, if, if at the right time of year, you killed the big game that had the fat on it, you get fat. By and large, you're not having access to the amount of fats you eat, um, you eat doing uh, keto, which I loved and I experimented with. The issue with keto is when you eat that much fat, you're eating more than you can digest. And one of two things happens. Um, you're going to get fat spillover and it's going to uh, create, uh, well, it's going to create all sorts of crazy things. It's, um, fat turns in, uh, will turn into ruderid, which is a broad spectrum antibiotic like Cipro, and acrolin, which is a genotoxin uh, if it gets to the large intestine. So if you do more fat than you can digest, it, it's going to wreak havoc in your large intestine. And it's also going to push the firmacuities back to your ratio completely out of whack. Um, what I would say is paleo. Um, Keto is a fantastic protocol for a particular kind of person at a particular point in time. Agreed. Long term, we're going to start seeing these issues with the microbiome in the gut. And the same thing is true for the carnivore diet. I'm, yes, there are people who will do much better on a carnivore diet because their microbiome is so bad, they just can't handle any plant matter. And for them, shifting to a carnivore microbiome is such a massive step up for them, right? They're, they, they're doing light years better. For them, a very, very limited carnivore microbiome is epically better than a terrible plant microbiome. Right. So great. We've got them to the carnivore diet. We, we, but now we're dealing with a very limited genetic group, right? There's, there are poly, there are leucosaccharides in meat, but most of them are in plants, right? And when you understand just how important the microbiome is, you want this thing to be as robust, kick-ass, genetically diverse as possible. And you can't do that on a meat micro, on a meat diet because you just don't have the oligosaccharides. So what I would say to my carnivore friends is you're a carnivore, but your microbiome isn't. Your microbiome is a plant eater and, or an omnivore. And I'm not saying don't be a carnivore. I'm saying your goal, the next step for you is you went from a bad plant-based microbiome to a healthy animal microbiome Go to the next step and get a healthy omnivore microbiome because it'll take you even farther than you are now. You'll get even more improvement if you can if you can get there. Dude, and you can't. 
I know this is a Zoom call, but if I could come over there and just hug you right now, I literally <laughs> would. You put it together even way better than I was thinking because you are 100% on the money. Dr. Stephen Gundry has even talked about this as well, saying that in a particular, if you have um, a damaged microbiome, a carnivore diet, keto diet can be better, very beneficial because we know that fat uses a low inflammation, low oxidative stress, stress pathways. But once you want to get to that next level, that optimal level that you're talking about, once your microbiome is, is mostly healed, then you can start adding those plant-based foods back into your diet slowly but surely as your body gets accustomed to it. And something else that people tend to miss is as you slowly introduce certain foods into our diet, because our bodies are lazy and doesn't like to do anything unnecessary, it will start to develop, if you're healthy, the right gut enzymes to break those down as well. I've had uh, people who have, who have counseled in different groups that said, I've been on keto and I've lost a lot of weight, but now I eat carbs and I'm gassy and I have all the issues. Well, you know what? Because our body says, you're not feeding me carbs. So it actually downregulates the ability to break down carbs efficiently. And then over, now you start eating those carbs back. Your body's like, whoa, 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 you weren't feeding me this before. Now what's happening, right? So then it has to regain that ability to really do so. So that's why I am not a fan of long-term keto or long-term carnivore can be good but you can also have plants in your diet as well. You don't have to necessarily exclude plants on a carnivore diet, but keto can get more dangerous because essentially you're really only eating um, high fat anyway, which as you explained, we didn't really have access to in the beginning of time. So thank you so much for breaking this down. And we're going to do a number two, probably a number three. We can even take this to a number five. We're going to have so many more fantastic interviews to come. And uh before you get out of here, though, tell us more about Remedy Link and uh, how can my audience learn more about your products? So uh, we're at www.remedylink.com. We've got a lot of videos there that will kind of uh, talk about different ways in which you can recover your health from what's going on. Um, and we've got mostly detox products uh, because that's where we started. And we start, we've also got that product, the Panaceum product for uh, that has the oligosaccharides. You know, what I, I want to say one last thing about the carnivores. Um, basically, I think what we're dealing with here is people that also have a, a problem with their pancreas. They just aren't making the enzymes that are breaking down carbohydrates properly. And so they say, well, I just want to, I just want to carbohydrates. What we really want to do is recover the pancreas, right? That, that, that is a better long-term goal. Give these people a healthy pancreas so they can eat a full omnivore diet, that, that would be where I'd want to take the client. Um, I, I guess what I would say, you know, if I were to wrap this up, you know, there's, there's two things I'd wrap this up with. One is your microbiome responds to your mood, right? So if you have uh, the chemicals of fear and anger and, and stress, you know, uh, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, that will not only grow bad bacteria, but it'll make good bacteria turn bad phenotypically. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, if you have uh, oxytocin, because you're a compassionate, loving person, that will not only um, cause the bacteria to go back to a healthy form, but you will be stimulating the growth of bacteria that make oxytocin for you. So this, it's this mutual symbiotic relationship that your attitude has an enormous effect on it. Um, the microbiome is an ancient intelligence with a lineage going back 3.5 billion years. It's a very powerful ally, and it's been with us and guiding us and protecting us and partnering with us since before we were even born. And all it's asking is feed it some oligosaccharides that we can't digest anyway, 
That's all. Right. And you know what? It's when we talk about carbs too, most of the carbs that we eat are not pure, good forms of carbs. The processed crap that we eat all the time is not good for our stomach anyway. So that's something to even add into what you just said. So again, I 100% agree. And thank you so much for being here. And uh, we're going to have more interviews coming up. And I think more people need to be aware. So thank you so much, Spencer, for being here. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thanks for having me, Zico. Have a great one. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.